Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Diana. And you're listening to Fiction Kitchen, where we're cooking with inspiration from our favorite books, movies, and TV. Today, we're going to talk about The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Yes, we're going to talk about the book and also the several movies that have been made. Do you want to go ahead and tell us like how you got into it? You're a pretty big fan, right? Yes. Uh, so I didn't actually read any of the Narnia books until... I was in my early 20s, I think it was. There was a big omnibus edition, so I pretty much read all seven stories as one big book. So I kind of <laughs> I kind of consider them one package because that's how I experienced them. And I'm really glad, actually, that I didn't read them for the first time as a kid because I feel like I got more out of them as an adult because of my life experiences and what I could bring to the reading. So I think it was a, it was a really moving experience for me. That's a good point, because I only read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I read it as a child. Mm -hmm. So I was also saying I had watched the animated movie when I was a kid (laughs) several times. Yeah, I think that's like one of the VHSs we owned (laughs) was that movie. Yeah, it was from 1979, but yeah, you and I watched it in the 80s. Also, I remember the BBC miniseries. That series came out in 1988, but it it would come on like Sunday mornings, and we were like going to go to church with my grandma. And I was like, no, I want to stay home and watch and watch Narnia. And so I'd be watching up to like the very last minute, and then I'd rush, you know. So I didn't want to make mom mad. Yeah. So. But I, yeah, I really loved that show. Nice. I haven't seen that. As you know, we mentioned it's a fantasy story just on a surface level, but there's a lot of themes running through it. Like there's Christian themes. Um, I think C.S. Lewis was a big Christian, and um, part of the reason he was writing this was to kind of provide a fresh setting for the, um, for Bible stories, so that mm-hmm. um, it would make it more accessible to children. But there's also you know a bunch of mythology running through it, like um, like Greek mythology. Yes. There's pagan themes, so there's a lot in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is interesting when you. If you think of it in a Christian light, some people might think, well, what? What's all this, like, (laughs) what are these fawns doing in here and dryads and naiads and, like, even Dionysus or or Bacchus, I can't remember if they they use Mm -hmm. his Greek or Roman name, but the god of wine, he's in there, you know, their revelries and everything, so it's, yeah, I think it's really cool that he... He drew from yeah. many sources to create this yeah. world. Yeah, it's interesting uh, that Narnia. Like, so when we say like the Chronicles of Narnia, or when we talk about these books, we instantly think about. Uh, well, many people instantly think about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which you know is, is a very wintry setting because it's the with the hundred years of winter because of the White Witch, uh, and we think of the lamp post in the in the the woods, the snowy trees, um, but Narnia was actually only part of this world, this whole world that Lewis created, and the the name of the world is never actually given that I can remember, but there are other lands besides Narnia that are in this world. There's Arkenland and Calermine. Or Kellerman. And okay. then there's also the ocean. So area, do they the do they do they travel to these in the other books? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't, I haven't so read all the other books. <laughs> yeah. No, that's okay. But it but it's yeah. interesting because there are these different lands that you know they're they're connected, but we don't really get a like is it a planet? Like we don't get this uh, a rounded image of this world. It's kind of just 
it's just the parts that we get in the in the stories so it's an interesting so it makes it yeah Anyway, it makes a lot to wonder at, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, like, there's some very striking imagery, like, you know, the lamppost and, of course, this wintry world. And mm-hmm. to be honest, like, even though I'm supposed to be happy that the snow has melted, I was kind of disappointed because <laughs> I love that um, that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But remember, it was always winter and never Christmas. So, so imagine... <laughs> If you, because when we think of the snow and everything, it's like, oh, Christmas time, like right. nice and cozy. But but it's like, oh, there was no Christmas. Like, I know it's supposed to be like ble- bleak and horrible, but I mean, yeah. it just but first of all, reader, it, it, yeah. as a reader, like and as a watcher too, a viewer in the um the more recent like two thousand five maybe mm-hmm. I think yeah, yeah, like it's just gorgeous, and so it, you're either outside in this like pristine beautiful world or you're like cozy in somebody's little den you know either (laughs) with tumnus or the beavers or yeah so it just seems really nice (laughs) yeah I I don't know that the um yeah it's supposed to be very bleak and stark but that's not the feeling I got from it that's true no you're right yeah (laughs) so yeah that's that's um interesting to mention too is the um it's always always winter but never Christmas but then when the tides start to turn they do meet Santa Claus who who gifts yeah. them yeah so that that's one of the things that I feel like touched on um like both Christian and pagan themes because mm-hmm. you know of course you've got like um it's representing the the birth of Christ you know and and the rebirth of the world but that that also comes from um the um the winter solstice you know the longest day of the winter yeah. and that's when like the god was born and the the warm days are coming back so um yeah it kind of uses both those concepts yeah which i've always loved uh the imagery and the the theology behind the christmas tree because that was something that existed before yeah. um christmas like the um Christian world Christmas was mm-hmm. um, set on December 25th. Uh, yeah, and it was a symbol of of hope in the dark times of the year, the darkness and the cold, because there's these evergreen trees. They're evergreen. So they're a symbol of hope, but also, yeah, that the spring will come. And so the same themes are in the Chronicles of Narnia in the... The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is that, yeah, Aslan is that hope that will come. And that's the same idea, yeah, that Jesus Christ is the hope. Right. So it's nice that, yeah, he, again, that he included pagan themes and Christian themes. Mm -hmm. So it's like everybody can go a little something yeah yeah no I was I was kind of pulling um yeah there's a little something for everyone like I don't think you necessarily have to be a Christian to enjoy this story Mm -hmm. and I really liked some of the characters I love I mean maybe I'm not supposed to but I love the witch I think she's so just like delightfully she's really good at being bad, wicked yeah. and awful. And oh man, Tilda Swinton in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Um, and I love Edmund. He's my favorite character because I feel like he is the most complex of the characters because he, he starts off as just like a jerk, you know, as most little boys are. But then he kind of goes through phases. You know, he he starts off just totally awful and then he kind of gains empathy and 
changes and grows as a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that it, the readers are supposed to take that journey with him too. Yeah. Hopefully we can see a little bit of Edmund in ourselves and, mm-hmm. and try to change. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, we all have, you know, wickedness in us, <laughs> but, yes. but we can make choices. Yeah, and that's one of the beautiful things that I got from the all of the stories is the theme that everyone has their own story. Like Aslan, you might remember um, at, at the end, Aslan spoke with Edmund by him just one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Like the other children were, were not allowed to be privy to their conversation because it was just between Aslan and Edmund. Mm-hmm. And, um, and elsewhere in the, the Chronicles... There are similar situations where Aslan has one-on-one with characters. And I think at one point he even says something to the effect that, yeah, that everyone has their own story. And it's, you know, it's between them and God. Like, every everybody has their own story. And, and that's something that's really impacted me in my life, just to remember that. Right. Another theme of the novel is kind of goes into the food, which I know we want to talk about. Um, yes. I think, yeah, so... Turkish delight. I think that's that's the the food the, the food everybody remembers when you think about yeah. this story. And, and we're not supposed to. It's supposed to be a bad thing, but we, yeah, I know. But well, it's, it's it. well, it's a wonderful thing, but like it's it's overly yeah captivating or or temptation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's temptation and it's gluttony, and um, so. I think Turkish Delight's interesting on two levels because one, it's what the witch offers Edmund that like totally binds him to her. It's enchanted. Yeah. And um, I was rereading the passages about it because in the movie, he eats it and he's into it. And, you know, you kind of see that that he, he starts to come to her side because of it. In the book, like, she offers him several pounds of it, and he eats the whole thing, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he wants more, and he's just like, I mean... I, I, Roomfuls of Yes, it. <laughs> it's ridiculous, and, and it says in the book that it's enchanted, and if she had kept giving him more, he would eat it until it killed him, and I'm like, that's intense. I'm like, this is, like, suddenly gone from a cute, you know, children's book to, like, the movie Seven. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's like terrifying. Yeah, so I think in the book, it's much more, um, yeah, you feel the full effect, I guess, in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And also, well, along with the Turkish delight, in the book, before she gives him the Turkish delight, there's this drink, and it simply says, I have the book in front of me, so let me find the passage. Uh, It was something he had never tasted before, very sweet and foamy and creamy. And it warmed him right down to his toes. So I think that's interesting. So it could it could be many different. So, okay. so it's just something that is sweet, foamy, and creamy. But I imagine it like, yeah, hot chocolate or like maybe white chocolate or like a syllabub or something like that. Yeah, isn't that like a kind of Christmassy drink? Yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah, so maybe something like that. I don't know. And also, uh, yeah, with the Turkish delight, because Edmund asked for it. Because she said, you know, yeah, what would you like best to eat? And he's like, mm-hmm. Turkish Delight, please. And like, he was just, ins- it's not, the book doesn't say that he like thought about it for a second. Like of all of the, of the foods, you know, you think you'd have to think about it for a second if somebody asked that question out of the blue. And <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> Turkish Delight. Yeah. He just suddenly yeah. asked for Turkish Delight, which is like something that he was familiar. I mean, he knew of. 
in in his world uh but i like maybe he had tried it on a special occasion or something but typically it was something that was for more because it would have been more expensive because it's an import so mm -hmm. it would have been something that maybe upper class people would have had so that's very telling i think yeah, yeah like i was reading the, for that i was reading the history of it on my favorite academic source wikipedia yeah. um, <laughs> and um yeah so it was let's see turkish delight it was first created by a turkish gentleman in um 1777 and it was not brought to Europe until the 19th century, um, where some unknown British person had gone to Istanbul and brought it back to Britain and just became a hit, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it became like, a, yeah, like you said, a, a delicacy. It was imported. It was for the upper class. And so, yeah, you're right. It's probably something that was just like really special to him and something that they ate on special occasions. So that's like the thing that popped into his mind. Yeah, and also with the whole scene was that the the white witch, well, he thought she was a queen, uh, the queen of Narnia, but she was offering him to be her heir, basically. Right. And so I think that that kind of goes hand in hand with the, you know, the the food of the upper class and you know yes. that's what that's what he's coveting kind of yeah and he's also wanting that position, the and, power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, to total greed um, scene there. <laughs> From the food and his his lot in life, he wanted to be a prince and a king, and yeah, so <laughs> yeah, and he and he fixated on this throughout the story. Mm -hmm. Another uh, scene, one of my favorite scenes, uh, is with Lucy and Tumnus mm -hmm. when they first meet, and then there's there's a food scene there too. Of course, with Mr. Tumnus is really, <laughs> I love it, um, and I love how. It's also portrayed in the 2005 film when Mr. Thomas invites Lucy to his home. He says, I love this, this quote, how would it be if you came and had tea with me? <laughs> Lucy's like, well, I should probably, you know, I ought to be getting back. And, and then he's, again, there's this temptation. Like he's, he also uses food to tempt, but not as extreme or as devious as the yeah, as the way I mean, because she we know she's evil. But that's a good point because he's he's working for her, so he he probably using this to his advantage. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's a good point. And it's and he yeah he says there'll be a roaring fire and toast and sardines and cake. And I remember uh, in the BBC miniseries, mm -hmm. it's more about the cake. And he's he's he mentions the cakes and Lucy's like all oh, the cakes like <laughs> at least that's how I, that's how I remember it because um, I actually I watched it I I watched the miniseries as a kid as I said but also after I had read the books in my early twenties I had a, an awesome coworker uh, and she loved Narnia too and so she would come over every once in a while and we'd watch one of the BBC episodes and so yeah that was so that was kind of a funny scene and in that miniseries but then in the movie he plays up the sardines <laughs> <laughs> so it's anyway i just think it's funny how the different takes on that scene right because yeah. what well what kid would be into sardines <laughs> well apparently <laughs> the the 2005 movie lucy is <laughs> yeah is into sardines like... yeah <laughs> but it's sard yeah sardines on toast so yeah there's the whole um scene where they describe the food there's like several 
Let's see. And it was a really wonderful tea. So I'm reading from the from the book right now. There was a nice brown egg, lightly boiled, uh, for each of them, and then sardines on toast, and buttered toast, and toast with honey, <laughs> and then a sugar topped cake. And so every so, kind yeah. of toast. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, the time that Lewis was writing these stories, it was World War Two, and there was heavy rations uh, mm-hmm. going on in the UK. And so the, the type of bread that they had was one that pretty much you wanted to toast if you wanted to enjoy it. Okay, <laughs> so, so kind of stale. Yeah, it was more hearty and it needed to last longer. Uh, and so... You know, if bread is, yeah, if it's starting to go stale, toasting it is <laughs> is the best route to go. And so, you know, and especially in this scene with Mr. Tumnus, you know, you imagine the roaring fire and they probably had the toasting forks. Um, so they kind of skewer the toast or, or put the toast on or the bread on and then just kind of reach it over into the fire to, to make it crispy. And yeah, and then he had, I guess, just different toppings. That, that they could put on it. That's a very nice tea. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then she falls asleep and all kinds of crazy things happen. Yeah. <laughs> poor, poor Mr. Tumnus. But yeah, he's my, he's my favorite character. Oh, Mr. is he? Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> nice. Oh, well, that's interesting because I think we both made food that was inspired by our favorite character. That's true. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, yeah, uh-huh. I like the witch and I, I made the Turkish delight. Although I did make it from your recipe. <laughs> <laughs> and then you you made the sugar-topped cakes that um, yeah. Yeah, from Mr. Tennis. Well, um, that's interesting to note, too, that this is very much influenced by World War II. Yes. Um, that's the whole reason the children are at this like mansion in the country anyway, because there were the air raids going on in London, and so they sent all the children out of the city. Mm-hmm. And that's very much reflected in Narnia because later they do fight the the mm-hmm. battle and it's like, you know, a lot of violence and war and, you know, food as well. I think it's very thoughtful on C.S. Lewis's part uh, to write a story that, I mean, it's fantasy. So, you know, you could think, oh, well, the point of fantasy is to kind of take people out of the real world and, you know, give them some other place to go. Especially you would imagine in wartime that that's what you would want to give children. Yeah. You know, like you'd want to escape. escape from this world. Yeah. But, yeah. but really, it's very much a reflection exactly. of the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think... It's very thoughtful on his part that I think it would help people to cope, children to cope with their reality by making a fantasy, like you said, a a reflection. And so, yeah, so even the foods and and different things in the, even though it's a fantasy world, did reflect. Because he specifically said sugar-topped cake. Well, that means that there wasn't any sugar in the cake. They put the sugar on top of the cake because it was (laughs) rationed. And what I want to know is, like, if you think of, if it was real, a real place, Narnia, and it's been winter for a hundred years, where did he, where did he even get the ingredients for to make cake and all? You know, so I wonder there must have been some importing from Arkenland and Calamine, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. That's a suspension of <laughs> suspension of disbelief. There. No, there's much suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I was reading some article and they're like, "How do the beavers have a sewing machine? This is a pre-industrial land." Or some, yeah, like whatever. <laughs> so yeah. You have to kind of take yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think we we had mentioned we, we had talked about this a little bit earlier this week, and I was thinking maybe. Um, 
you know, all the people that were working for the witch, she, she was giving them a little bit extra <laughs> Yeah, maybe for, for their true. troubles. Yeah, like she's probably holding everything in her palace. You know, she's got rooms full of Turkish delight. Who knows what else she's got up there? Yeah, so anybody who's willing to help her, she'll probably give them some, you know, extra toast and boiled eggs and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, well, um, do you have anything else to say about, like, the book or movie before we get into our recipes? Well, I wanted to mention, as many of you might know, that well, we've mentioned the 2005 Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe movie, and then there were two following movies, um, Prince Caspian and Voyage, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, but there's going to be a fourth movie by different different production companies um, than the previous three, uh, but it's going to be the Silver Chair. So I think that is really exciting. Uh, it's going to be by the Mark Gordon Company and the C.S. Lewis Company. Okay, so is it going to have like the same actors in it and stuff? I am not sure because yeah, it's been <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been, been a-, a while. Because in the Silver Chair, it's Eustace and Polly. So the the Pevensey children actually aren't in. That oh, okay. that story, but Eustace was in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and so that actor, oh, and I can't think of his name, but he's he was just in the Maze Runner. Anyway, he's he's grown up, <laughs> so I don't know if they will try, you know, try to do okay. do that with the same actors. But so that'll be interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the other movies either, but I should check them out, especially because my daughter's getting to the age where I think she would enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so when I read the books, I read it was HarperCollins Order. So there have been two two different orders for the the novels. And the movies are going in the original publication order, mm-hmm. but the way that the books are sold now uh, and the way that the omnibus is, is uh, set up that I read is chronological Narnia order, if that makes sense. So like... Yeah. The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is the one that many people are familiar with because that was the first one that was published. That was in 1950. Um, and then it was Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, The Silver Chair, and then The Horse and His Boy, Magician's Nephew, and The Last Battle. But chronologically, which is the way I read it, it's The Magician's Nephew, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Horse and His Boy, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, The Silver Chair, and The Last Battle. So... I can't wait. I really hope that at some point a movie is made for The Magician's Nephew. And I've read that second to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Magician's Nephew is the most popular or the most read. Uh, and that one is like a prequel. Okay. It's about the creation of Narnia. And that is, is so gorgeous. And I would love... Well, I would hope that they would <laughs> the produce the movie creators um, would do it justice cause, because there's... Yeah, it's just, it's gorgeous because basically Aslan and the stars, they sing Narnia into existence. So if you, if you can imagine, yeah, I, I definitely, if, if you want to read another one of the Narnia books, I would definitely suggest The Magician's Oh, okay. Nephew. Is that one your favorite? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's really hard. <laughs> oh, when people ask me what my favorite one is, it's hard. It's so hard to tell. I like this beautiful imagery in that one. Um, the last battle, because maybe because it's the last book, that's like so, like you feel it uh, in the the end of that book. It's exhilarating and like what? Like it's it's amazing and yeah. I've, I don't know. I don't know if I would say that I have a favorite because they all blended together for me because the way I read mm-hmm. them. So, um, but I think it's exciting to know that there's a fourth movie eventually coming out there's no 
date yet for you know when we might see it in the theater but oh, okay but it's <laughs> but it's coming yeah because Lion Witch and Wardrobe did great in the box office but then Prince Caspian and Dawn Treader didn't yeah probably just because people weren't as familiar <laughs> yeah and so it's nice to know that there's still another one that's going to happen and if they're not being given up on the, the books aren't you know because they're incredible yeah. and they should be in the light of all the other movies that are being made you know <laughs> these definitely should be brought to a new generation i guess yeah. anyway that was <laughs> but yeah there's... but that's exciting yeah <laughs> so that's something the journey's not over yeah um but food wise yeah, I think because people are mostly familiar with the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, yeah, it's the Turkish Delight, or the White Witch scene uh, with Edmund, and then Mr. Tumnus scene. Um, but throughout the books, um, like a, a food scene that comes to mind is in Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's a, a feast that is that's laid out that the, the adventurers, the travelers, uh, discover. And at first they're hesitant of it like because it might be poisoned but but anyway it turns out it's a wonderful feast and they meet uh, a star ramandu and his daughter and the food is described there i don't have the the page open to read the descriptions but um but that's a scene that that i remember from reading um and then also in the horse and his boy which takes place mostly in the the calamine kingdom which is middle eastern setting kind of it's like because it's deserts around and uh, it's kind of, I guess they're kind of characters. The the people of Calamine are more like characters. I think it's more product of the time and how people viewed the you know people in the Middle East, like <laughs> turbans and pointy shoes. And Great. So sounds yeah, problematic. <laughs> I know exactly. So, <laughs> so but I but I think he was building off of because these are for children. Well, they're for everybody, but. I think to make it more of a visual, I don't know. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be sound t- terrible or anything. But yeah, because some people view that as racist. Like, oh, C.S. Lewis, what were you thinking? Like writing this racist stuff. But I think I don't think he was doing it in a that with that mentality. Yeah, he, in general, he's kind of a controversial figure. Like, you know, there's there's some like misogyny in there <laughs> as well, and probably some. So I mean, that doesn't surprise me that there's. I think it's kind of a product of the time yeah. and the, of the society. Like, perhaps that is what it yeah, is. Yeah, like, I'm sure there was tons of awful stuff back then, so take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, but it does kind of let you imagine what mm-hmm. the food would be like. But also, the food is described in there. So a lot of figs and um, and dates and, and that kind of Mediterranean, Middle Eastern food um, for the horse and his boy. And then there's also eel stew or puddle glum. He, he's a marsh wiggle, and so he's, he's in the silver chair. And so there's, yeah, gloopy stuff that... <laughs> It might not. I know eel stew. Well, I guess eel stew is a real thing in other parts of the world. But I guess to me, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. That's probably not one that I will try. I don't know. That strangely intrigues me. I've never eat. Well, I guess I've had eel with like sushi. So. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, I've had eel with sushi too. Yeah, so maybe it wouldn't be too bad. Um, and then the dwarves. Apparently, the dwarves are like really big on bacon. So we. <laughs> I wonder if like a dwarf party is like all the appetizers are made out of bacon and <laughs> maybe some hard boiled eggs or something. But yeah. So anyway, so there's a lot. Of, it's it's cool. There's a lot of different 
food throughout the books. Um, and there is an official Narnia cookbook. Right now, you can only get the official Narnia cookbook in ebook format, but it's kind of a reprint. I mean, it basically is a reprint of a physical book that is now out of print, but there have been some changes to it in, to put it in ebook format. Um, but Douglas Gresham, he's C.S. Lewis's stepson. He did the foreword for the book, and he he's basically the author of the, the official Narnia cookbook, uh, and that's available now. And also on Narnia.com, recently they did some recipes from the cookbook, so you can check them out and get them for free. Uh, but there's also an unofficial Narnia cookbook that's now out of print, um, and that's by Dinah Buchholz, and it's it's one of the over 150 recipes, one of those one of those books. There are there are a few unofficial cookbooks out there for different shows and books um, that are the 150 recipes. Oh, okay. Wow, that's, <laughs> so a, that's is, a lot of recipes. Right, yeah. I, well, I have a couple other unofficial cookbooks that they say the same thing on the cover. It's like, over 150 recipes. Um, so these are, so that to keep in mind, though, it's inspired by the Chronicles of Narnia. Right. So, yeah, so it's, there can't possibly be Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it. So there are some things that are specifically mentioned in there, um, like like the tea with Mr. Tomness, those items. Mm -hmm. um, but then there are other foods that are inspired by or like these are the kind of foods that they probably would have had or, you know, <laughs> so. See, I, I like that kind of thing because that's like yeah. taking a fictional work and then kind of like making mm -hmm. something else from it. You know, it's like creativity begets <laughs> creativity. Yeah. So I really I really like that, actually. Yeah. It's like taking the next step. Yeah. And in the in the official one, I forgot to mention um, because it's C.S. Lewis's. Uh, stepson, uh, he puts a lot of information in there about C.S. Lewis and his eating habits. Like he adds certain foods because he says this is probably the food that C.S. Lewis was thinking of when he was writing the scene <laughs> be because this is like he loved to eat this food. So, oh, okay. so anyway, yeah. so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there we go. That's my <laughs> my long spiel about all the things that <laughs> I wanted to add. So. Yeah, now we can talk about now we can talk about our experiences with the recipes that we tried. So tell <laughs> tell us you did Turkish delight. So I tell did. us how that how that went. Okay, Turkish delight. Um, you actually have a recipe for Turkish delight on your site. So I'm I like do. I'm gonna make your recipe. <laughs> so this yeah. is on fictionfood.com and mine came out looking a lot different from yours. So I'm not. Which is probably, I, I think I'm that's not probably, sure if probably I did better it. than mine. Well, I'm not sure if I did it right or not. It, it came out pretty good, though. Like, I was really happy with the texture, but I think I let the sugar mixture go too long, so I think it was a little bit bitter. So basically what it is is you cook, like, sugar, water, and lemon juice as the first part of it, and then cornstarch and water as the second part of it, and let that thicken up, and then combine the whole thing, and cook it for like 40 minutes which I did for 40 minutes I set the timer mm -hmm. <laughs> and um yeah st stood over it stirred listened to some podcast you know <laughs> took my yeah. time yeah and then stir in your flavoring at the very end and I just did the classic like rose flavor mm -hmm. oh I forgot to mention too um I I had had Turkish delight before if it counts um 
which the the Cadbury kind, which is basically like a rose flavored jelly bean with this like coated in chocolate. <laughs> so, but before I made this, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do my research. Like I go to the halal market all the time, and they have like a whole like shelf full of Turkish delight. There's all different flavors. They have like nuts and um, all kinds of stuff. So I bought a box <laughs> for research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was um yeah the box I bought was rose and lemon and mint oh nice and it was pretty good but it was basically you know like like a jelly bean (laughs) it was pretty gummy and so when I made it fresh I was actually like really happy with the texture because it was like so much softer and less gummy but you still had Mm -hmm. that like gel feel um so the only thing I wasn't happy about was I think I did let the sugar go a little bit too long long and burnt it yeah so yeah it tastes pretty good but it just has like a little bit of a bitter aftertaste (laughs) which you know if you pair it with a sweet tea or something I don't know maybe yeah no <laughs> I mean it's I mean it's definitely edible so yeah yeah, yeah. or if you have the sweet what is the sweet foamy oh yeah uh, the whatever. sweet foamy <laughs> mystery drink yeah yeah <laughs> which reminds me that when you're talking about the texture of yours uh in the film when Edmund is is eating it you can see that it, they're almost like little pillows little pink powdery pillows so the texture of of the Turkish delight in the film was very soft and you know it was not like a jelly bean yeah <laughs> and I really I really liked how it looked in the film too because it um you know it was like white and powdery on the outside and it was like very red on the inside yeah um and actually put like I think you you put just like a teeny bit of food coloring so yours are like a pretty pink mm-hmm. color um I put like a few more drops so mine are like more more authentic to the film yeah more reddish but I mean you could go either way because I've looked there's all different kinds you know and there's some that sound really good, like orange blossom and um, mm-hmm. yeah, the and, mint ones I had were and pretty nuts good. Are a common yeah, thing, yeah, right? you can yeah. put like pistachios or almonds, and these are dusted with cornstarch and powdered sugar to kind of mm-hmm. keep them dry and separate. But you could also put like powdered coconut. Oh, yeah, yeah, so I saw that too. So yeah, there's all all different all different varieties. Yeah, so you can kind of get a little creative with these. <laughs> Yeah, and that also reminds me in the the film, uh, Skandar Keynes, who played Edmund. Mm-hmm. You know, in a film, you have to do so many takes of a scene, and so he, <laughs> he ended up eating, like, so, so oh, much Oh, I think Turkish I read that, delight. too. He's yeah. like, I like it okay, but after eating, like... <laughs> Several gallons, yeah. Oh, my God, that's horrible. And that's <laughs> well, that's more authentic to the book. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty right. Much, pretty much how much Edmund ate. Oh, yeah, yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So tell us about your your sugar topped cakes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had a long a long journey An to arduous, the final. Yeah. So I think I ended up going through seven or eight different versions uh, until I got one that I feel is something that is perhaps what was had at Mr. Tumnus's tea. But again, because of the fact that it's sugar topped cake, that really made me feel that it it would have been a cake that was had in wartime in in Britain. And so I searched for a lot of recipes to get ideas for like ingredients of that time, like how people made cakes on rations uh, because uh, butter was rationed, sugar was rationed, um, eggs were rationed. So if an adult only got one egg per week, so pretty much anything you would put in a cake. <laughs> yeah, everything was rationed. <laughs> was yeah, rationed. And so, yeah. 
So, uh, and yeah, and the things that weren't rationed at the time, they were usually increased in price. And so it was still hard to get unrationed foods because of the expense. And so anyway, so I ended up uh, my recipe instead of sugar in it, it has molasses, which well, I, I'm pretty sure molasses was rationed too, so it's, but, I, but I tried, yeah, I, the earlier versions of the cake, I, I tried to have no sugar or sugar substitute in it. Anyway, but the texture just wouldn't, it was like too dense and it wouldn't really cook all the way through or just blah. Anyway, so, <laughs> well, so. What all, you, you used like, um, to sweeten it, you were using like boiled raisins, I think? Yeah, because that, did you that up- is a cake that... Yeah, the boiled raisin cake is a, a wartime cake, um, but that but that but those recipes had like two cups of brown sugar, so oh. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's not supposed to have any sugar. <laughs> it's like that's why Caesar specifically wrote sugar topped cake is because it's only on the top. Anyway, right. so <laughs> so yeah, so I was like super stubborn going through all of these. I'm like, no, I, I can't have sugar in it, and so yeah, so that's why I, I it was such a, a task to get this but so the final recipe it does have um it does have molasses in it um but then it has no egg and no butter um but it does have yeah it has raisins i also put in um you can do like a cup of raisins or i actually have to uh with half cup raisins and half cup of craisins the dried cranberries because i i like those and it kind of adds a little tint of red um, but also spices so like cinnamon and cloves and walnuts i thought i put crushed walnuts in there too they, i think it gives a really good uh text adds to the texture and flavor um but like yeah raisins and and cranberries and and walnuts i feel and also along with the spices i feel like it's a a very like wintry kind of like a cozy kind of yeah cake. it sounds kind of like yeah. ginger gingerbread especially with yeah. the molasses yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and you can also like you can put water in it or also um, you can or you can do like apple juice or orange juice. So that's kind of neat. Or if you wanted, I guess you could even do co- like a cup of coffee or something. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. you know, so whatever liquid, you know, because cause I think during the time um, coffee was was often put into cakes just to because it's water plus flavor, you know. Right. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, but you have to cook it, cook the cakes for like an hour. <laughs> so you can make one big cake. I ended up making three little cakes out of like the mini springform pans. Mm-hmm. I found some little Wilton um, springform pans. Um, but yeah, it's like an hour in the oven. So <laughs> you have to yeah, be that's, patient. That's dense. <laughs> but yeah, so with tea, it tastes great. Uh, and then I, I think, yeah, if you have a fireplace and you want to... <laughs> Toast it. Toast the slice. Yeah, I think that would actually be good. Uh, Tastes good, and and again, cozy in the winter time. Yeah. (laughs) So, and that's perfect for this time of year. Yeah. But also another uh, for my blog, I just wanted to mention um, I did create a recipe um, for what I envisioned the white witches creamy drink was. I can put a, a link on the website, but it was white chocolate with a hint of mint. That sounds really good. (laughs) And it's very creamy. And yeah, I think, I think that's definitely something the white witch would have tempted. Yeah. (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Okay. Um. So we'll put we'll put links to anything we talked about as well as the recipes up on the site, which is fictionkitchenpodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, which you probably did if you're listening to this. And you can write us an email if you'd like at fictionkitchenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.